0: the truth should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid maybe maybe not maybe fuck yourself you're all a bunch of fucking assholes you know why you don't have the guts to be what you want to be you need people like me you need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say that's the bad guy clearly don't know who you're talking to so let me clue you in I am not in danger, Skyler, I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot and you think that of me? No, I am the one who knocks. Another episode of the Righteous Brick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is Sunday, September 12th, in the year of our Lord, 2021, 7.20 p.m. on the East Coast. Doing this episode early. I will get it up early for you because uh, I've got to do two episodes of Making Podcasts Great Again tomorrow night. A regular episode and a bonus episode. Plus, I have uh, work to do. Plus, I've hit a uh, mental roadblock in terms of my sketch writing because I'm supposed to film a couple of my sketches on September 25th. I have yet to write them. I have yet to contact my usual cast of characters. Many of you are newer listeners, newer fans. But uh, you know, before 2020, I used to do anywhere between you know six and fifteen sort of collaborative sketches. That you know, I'm a little more uh, reminiscent of Saturday Night Live versus me alone in my apartment, uh, dressing up as people and talking. Uh, so. Um, I'm just having sort of a motivational crisis, I guess, with comedy, uh, because I have all these ideas sketched out and they will take me, you know, most of the sketches will take no more than three hours a piece to write and I just can't do it right now. I instead go for long walks, I read, um, I don't know. It's like my spirit is trying to purge itself of comedy, but it can't quite do it. So um, this week we'll be busy with with writing and with uh, regular work, and uh, Monday we'll be busy with two podcasts. So uh, I figured I'd get this one up to you right after watching the U.S. Open. I was disappointed to see uh, Novak Djokovic lose. I'm a huge Novak fan. I love anybody who isn't afraid to show utter and complete rage on uh, a a field of competition. But I'm also a big fan of this guy Medvedev. Uh, Two years ago at the U.S. Open, he did a incredible heel turn. Um, he just kept with the crowd was booing him for a lot of the tournament and he ended up making the finals I think against Nadal and lost. But obviously as a young player that's a, he made an impressive run and he's been he's been a top top 5 top 6 guy ever since. But obviously with Nadal, Djokovic and Federer standing in the way most of the time. Uh, he, like many of his younger players, uh, haven't been able to get a major. And, and there's basically a generation of players with the exception of, um, oh, who's the guy, the other Swiss guy, Warinka. um, and Murray, they always called it the big four. They stopped calling it the big four. It was just too insulting. It was like 20 majors, 20 majors, 20 majors, three. You can't, that's really not a, a, a big four. That's a, a big three. And oh yeah, Andy, um, <laughs> But Wawrinka, I think, has two or three also. So he's, he's got a, as much claim to any big three as, as Andy Murray. But they uh, And sorry for the tennis stuff. But the U.S. Open just ended. I'll, I'll move on from, from tennis very shortly. Um, but that whole generation, you know, the Joe Willy Sangas, uh, Gael Monfils uh, kind of generation of tennis was completely crushed by Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. So now the next generation is up. The, the, I don't, it's sitsippus, C- I know they always love that. The Chris Fowler on ESPN loves that. chef fuck off. And I, I know this is a Jean Louis Covin saying fuck off about your proper pronunciation, but Greeks can go fuck themselves with their names, okay? Fabalabopolodabalabopolis, please. You could have cut that in half and still had an ethnically unique name, okay? C- uh That's right. J.O., not afraid of being xenophobic against hairy people um <laughs> thank you for bringing me back to comedy ron reagan jr you're always here like a trusty ed mcmahon living in my head rent free to just bring the show back to to fun times but um but so now it's on this new generation Zever, Zverev, the guy who won the gold medal at the olympics and and fought very tough against uh, djokovic in the semifinals he's a young a german dude apparently uh also beats women. Uh, that was a big article in the New York Times. But he's a tall, good-looking fella who can really play tennis. So I'm sure we're going to look past that uh, through as time moves on. Um, and uh, and then the best of the class, I think, is is Medvedev, who's been the most competitive. And this was his third finals already, and he smoked Djokovic. He smoke <laughs> and um. He is a charismatic, funny kind of dude for a sport for an athlete, a sports for a sports person. That's me, sounding like Balky Bartokamus. He is funny for a sports person, um for an athlete. Uh he but his 2019 heel turn was incredible because they were booing him and he kept winning and then after the match, I remember one time he just says, "I thank you for booing me. Please keep doing it. It gives me energy." <laughs> And he won over New York without ever giving in to New York. It was very early rock WWF style trolling of the crowd. Um, So he won me and the Righteous Girlfriend over two years ago, and we've been hoping to see him break through. And what I like about this, I wanted Djokovic to win the Grand Slam without question um, history. He's 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 incredible. A very strong claim to greatest ever. And I've I've often said I wrote this. Uh, if you check out my uh, my blog, if you look up the one I wrote about Djokovic and and Federer, I think maybe it was two years ago or a year ago. I forget. But I basically said Djokovic is the best player ever, and Federer is the goat. Which obviously seems counterintuitive to say somebody's the best player ever, and then the other one's the greatest of all time. But Djokovic is, in a in a in a pure wins losses dominance way, he has the title. But as as an amateur but devoted tennis fan, uh, watching Federer play the game, innovate, etc., it he plays like he plays like the guy like he invented tennis. Djokovic plays like he's mastered tennis, but Federer plays like he invented it. So that's why I made that distinction in a very good tennis blog. Uh, You know, you don't catch a ton of tennis blogs on my website, but there is one. And I think it might be in the JL reader if you're – and you know what? I'll throw it in the show notes for the two of you who might be inclined to read it. But – so I was disappointed, but I was also kind of happy it was Medvedev because I I do want – I'm disappointed because I wish he could have gotten the Grand Slam and then like next year at the Australian Open have, have Medvedev win. But um, it's not up to Medvedev to fucking lay down for history. It's his history he's making. And he did something at this uh, when he won, which I thought was incredible and funny. He did like a fake collapse. He was like running up to the net. And everybody always does that dramatic like fall to the floor, to your knees or to your back. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've had it. It's one of the faker things. In tennis, Not, sometimes it's genuine, but sometimes it's just like, okay, you're just you're doing the cliche, and the crowd, like everywhere in this world, is full of enough stupid people that they just kind of get swept up in and go, oh, I can't even though it's like half the time very kind of manufactured. Um, Medvedev did a fake one; he was like walking up to the net, and then he just like fell on his side, like almost like, oh yeah, I have to do this right. Um, gave a very gracious speech where he called Djokovic the best ever. Um, Djokovic was very gracious in in in, in loss. It was a, it's a beautiful tennis. Really is awesome. And the U.S. Open, I, I've said it. I'll say it again. Uh, just an incredible. Just if you can go for a night or a day, it, there are cheap options if you just, especially early in the in the tournament where you want to go and just kind of observe some of the opening round matches and just be in like a beautiful. Park of tennis. It's 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 just awesome. It really is, and I say that as somebody who basketball is my favorite sport by far. But I don't know of any comparable basketball thing that is as cool and fun and and uh, scenic as as the U.S. Open. I mean, I've never been to the other. I've never been to Wimbledon or French Open or any shit like that. But like, it's as far as American sports, I I can't imagine there's there's anything better. Um, so. I recommend it. Uh, there's there's options for you broke ass motherfuckers, and there's also uh, elite options for people who are more like me. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's your there's your tennis wrap up. Oh, we all love coming to the righteous prick for sports, don't we? Ease up, Ron Reagan Jr. Okay, you're getting out of your zone here. I'm not I'm not your dad. You don't need to fucking shit on me. So anyway. This is the evolution, guys. Soon it's going to be me in my home office uh, just talking amongst a series of characters. And we're, we're two weeks away from my John Bernthal Sopranos uh, sketch, which is not really going to be a sketch. It's just going to be me and a wife beater eating pasta, doing outtakes of John Bernthal playing Johnny Soprano in The Many Saints of Newark. Uh, halfway through season five of The Sopranos, so it's going to be a close call. But I will finish it. Um, sometime in early october and then watch the new movie and then go to holstein's in bloomfield new jersey for ice cream where hopefully somebody will uh, shoot me in the back of the head while journey is playing and as i've said before it better be don't stop believing or else it's written in my will that uh i want to do over um if that shit's playing wheel in the sky they can go fuck themselves um so guys about my comedy writer's block. It's not really writer's block because I know what I want to write. I just can't actually sit down and do it because something in my soul is telling me I'm wasting my time. Um, with that said, show update. I should be report. I should be on a train arriving in Newark right now. But instead, those gigs in in Greensboro, North Carolina, were canceled as I told you last week, thanks to COVID and our great citizenry. And um, Sleepy Joe Biden has instituted a, 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 a mandate, which is uh, constitutional, or as people who don't know the Constitution would say, against the Constitution. Uh, and I got into it, I posted something that went very, uh, had a good, good moment on Instagram for me yesterday. But it was basically just saying, Um, You know, some of these patriotic people who are going to be posting 9-11 memes today. And 9-11, I watched all five parts of this Netflix documentary series yesterday. Very traumatic, very trying, uh, very upsetting, uh, especially the 9-11 parts. The the rest of it, uh, I hate to say this, but I feel like it's necessary. Somebody has to stand up for reading in this country. Almost all the information in that documentary series I was aware of from reading the newspaper and two books, Ghost Wars. By Steve Cole and The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright. Two incredible books, both Pulitzer Prize winners in, in, uh, I think, 04 and 05, back to back years. Lawrence Wright's The Looming Tower is my favorite nonfiction book of all time. What's your favorite fiction book of all time, JL? Thanks for asking. The Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. And I'll say it and I'll say it again. I've said this for people on this podcast. I don't know if I've said it in this recent iteration of the Righteous Brick podcast, but. Um, I was I am a comedian of some renown and incredible gifts. Uh, I also was an assistant district attorney in the Bronx. That book is about a fictional case at the Bronx DA's office. And it is more accurate, more funny, and better written than anything I could do. And I fucking lived the experience practically. So That's how good that book is. I remember just sitting laughing out loud reading The Bonfire of the Vanities. So there, there, guys. Looming Tower, Bonfire of the Vanities, okay? Um, But the – where were we? What were we talking about? Which voice was speaking? Me or Ron Reagan Jr.? We were on books. Oh, yeah. Looming Tower and Ghost Wars. But the thing is, um, having read those two books and just kind of reading the paper somewhat regularly – There's nothing new in the documentary except for sort of the really upsetting, harrowing footage and commentary and interviews regarding 9-11 itself. And the post I posted yesterday basically said a lot of the people who will be blah, 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 like never forgetting with their memes, will go back tomorrow to mocking the, the vaccine, the virus, calling it a hoax, diminishing it, and On a basic level, I I said, honor, what I wrote is honor the dead by valuing life. Go get vaccinated. But the vaccine part was only part of the post. The part that seemed to get ignored by anybody who commented with sort of vitriol, calling me shameful and telling me to rot in hell for writing that. So, you know, good Trump Christians. Um, What I found odd was part of the post was really about, and what I talked about, I think, a little bit last week is the lack of humility, of respect Okay, so let's say I'm a stupid uh, Jersey bodybuilder who uh, loves Trump and uh, I have 4% body fat. I eat very nutritiously and I run a gym and I'm a small business owner and I take zinc and vitamin C and horse tranquilizers, okay? And I am – and Joe Rogan is my spiritual guru – none of those things give you an excuse to talk shit about something that killed 600,000 plus Americans. Like, that's what's so bizarre is that it's one thing if you say, I don't think we should have a vaccine mandate. I don't think that's American. Okay. I I disagree. But like, you you know, but it goes so far beyond that, to where people are like, Snickering at people at school, kids at school board meetings who've lost family members. It Now, these are the same people that if you say something about 9-11, they, they demand a complete silence of respect and only never forget hashtags and nothing else. But when it comes to something that killed 200 times and counting as many people as 9-11, they have no problem. Being dismissive and disrespectful, and to me, for going beyond any going even before you get into specifics of how to stop it, whether we should have mask mandates, vaccines, before any of that, to the, the fact that there is like a, a large minority in this commun- in this in this country, in, in, you know, sort of led on by the Tucker Carlson snarkiness and the Donald Trump irreverence, that think it's totally okay to speak of this horrible tragedy that is global and has affected hundreds of thousands of families and millions of people to speak of it with no respect and, 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 and a, a tone that, that just shows no, like it, not that's, that's sort of my bigger point is like all these never forget people will be back online, mocking, complaining, and bitching, as if this thing isn't super serious and ongoing. And yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. They should just make COVID, instead of that like red spiky thing, COVID should just be like a the face of a black teenager and see if Trump voters all of a sudden start getting vaccinated and taking it seriously. <laughs> anyway, but... Uh, those two books I highly recommend. So the documentary was, was very powerful, but, but really after the first episode, it was kind of like, yeah, I know all this. Um, but I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, John Oliver keeps winning Emmys because people don't read. So he does like eight jokes and a book report and people are awed by it. And it's a very comprehensive, impressive show most weeks, but many episodes I just go, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm. I, I can skip this lesson plan because I read. Um, but anyway, that's just me being condescending to an increasingly stupid population, not afraid of alienating no'm I don't I'm giving you guys credit. I don't think I'm alieni, alienating a lot of you. And if I am, go read. And the first two books you should start with are Ghost Wars by Steve Cole. And The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright. And then when you're done with that, get yourself a copy of The Bonfire of the Vanities. Let's have a book club, guys. Do you want to have a book club when I quit comedy? Do you want to just join my social media book club and we can just uh, have virtual tea and read? Um, yeah, that's that's where my life appears to be headed. I just finished Jemmy Connor's book in uh, just over a week. I wanted to read that during the U.S. Open. I just felt like, you know, hey, why don't we I put away a tennis book during the tennis week, so my next book up is, uh, oh, I already forgot the title of it, but it's the the kind of acclaimed book about uh, Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, Blood Diamond or Blood Cunt or something like that, uh, <laughs> Bloody Rag, <laughs> Blood Brothers, uh, Blood in the, Blood on the Dance Floor by Michael Jackson, what is that fucking book called? I'm out of blood references. Blood, uh, true blood. But damn damn damn. Um okay, so we did that and my computer, by the way, my computer is uh still a horrific piece of shit. Um I'm gonna instead of going on the road for uh comedy, I'm gonna go on the road to India and find the the Dell people and uh start an argument and then catch a flight home before I breathe in all the toxic air. Uh blood Theranos, Theranos book. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Bad blood. There it is. Bloods and Crips, guys. That's the name of the book. No, bad blood. There it is. So that's the book I'm reading now uh, about Elizabeth Holmes, um, who, let me tell you something. If any of my fans are on only fans, good luck. Um, see a therapist. I, I recommend that first before you start putting out too much premium adult content. Maybe maybe check in with a psychological professional, work through some of those issues before putting sex tapes out on the internet for a low subscription fee. But uh, I will say, you're doing it wrong, OnlyFans people. And if you saw this on Twitter, I apologize. But uh, my thinking is, Elizabeth Holmes, They every article is like, She was a young, charismatic, attractive blonde woman. And I'm always like, uh, no, she wasn't. She sounded like Vera DeMila from In Living Color. (laughs) That was the Jim Carrey uh, bodybuilder character. (sighs) Hi. She sounded like that. She dressed like Steve Jobs. So, so far, a manly voice, like not a manly voice, like a Kathleen Turner smoky kind of, and I'm not talking about Kathleen Turner now, folks. But, you know, we're not talking 1984 romancing the stone with Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner. We're talking a real manly voice. She dresses like Steve Jobs. So, so far, you're 0 for 2 on the JL er erection scale sound like a man wear Steve Jobs clothing. Okay, I am actually losing penis as we speak. And then she had like hair that I don't know if I'm using the correct term. I don't I don't know. It looked fried. Um like like kind of like brittle straw. So if you're into hair Hair is like optional for me. I mean, not optional. I'm not, you know, Sinead O'Connor in her prime was cute enough. But I'm I'm saying it's great hair can work. Bad hair can hurt. But usually sort of in the middle of like, hey, did you shower and fucking blow dry it? Okay, we're good. Do Do you look good with curly? Another thing I've always noticed with women, if they have curly hair, they always want to straighten it. And if they have straight hair, they say it's so boring, and they try to like flow it up and fluff it up and curl it up when going out. Women, just be happy with what you have, okay? Anyway, that was your empowerment talk for the episode. But um and then she had these bug eyes. She just looked she not like a sexy, I'm locked in on you with my Angelina Jolie eyes, more like I'm insane, and my eyes look insane. And it wasn't like she was walking around just stacked or sexy as fuck. It was just – but it was – she was milking money out of the tech and finance industries. And I guess they were just so mesmerized with like, wait, what do you mean? She's not an autistic nerdy guy? Oh, my God. I think I just came in my pants. I'm going to give her all my money, man. So I never understand. I never understand why every – she was a young – Charismatic, attractive blonde woman. I'm like, no, she was a blonde woman. I mean, th- you know, that, but it's like, is it that, is it that easy? And then I just thought to myself, I'm like, some of you OnlyFans chicks, instead of getting like ten thousand a month, or yeah, hell, I make you know some of these, uh, you know, suburban whores that are like my Christian school found out I was sucking dick each month, making a hundred and fifty thousand a week on OnlyFans. I can't believe they fired me, but it's one of those things where I. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I go, you're aiming small here, ladies. Uh, I, I, I'm not trying to encourage you, but I think this could be a win-win. You could keep some of your clothes on and if, if, if you're interested in that and just go to come up with a fake product and then just wow tech nerds with your woman parts. And they'll go, um, uh, can I give you $50 million of startup money? <laughs> the, new, the book should be called Bad Come. OK? And I would make that the title of the episode, but it might affect the algorithm. Uh, but instead of bad blood, bad Come. The story of how tech and finance bros uh, were wowed by lady parts of an average, crazy-looking young woman. oh i didn't think i'd be getting into this i have no idea where the fuck this podcast is going folks but we're gonna make it fairly quick i don't want to do too long an episode but i'm feeling good energy right now i want to thank my co-host ron reagan jr as always for steering the ship it was going in a depressing direction but i'm gonna I, i do have to talk about some shows and some urgent news and you guys you hear me talk about this all the time so the call to action has already expired but um i have several shows september 26th i'm in philadelphia at helium uh great cl- great club love performing there would love to have a great showing there i'm hopeful that i will so fingers crossed but if you are going to be in philadelphia or you live near philadelphia um please get tickets to that now um and and tell friends if you have friends in the area uh, don't keep it a secret by all means um then October 6th, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina at Good Nights. I know some people are already have already told me they are they're coming to that show, and I'm very grateful for that. So this is another reminder for that. Any of my listeners who live in Long Island? Belmore, Long Island at the brokerage. Huge show for me. It's 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 just huge because it's a booker that I've been trying to get work from, so they gave me a headlining spot. It's a Friday night, so it's a good night. It's a Friday, 8 p.m. show. Uh I'm sure anybody in Long Island will probably just drive, but it is close to Long Island Railroad. I will be taking Long Island Railroad and then walking to the club. It's like a ten-minute walk. Um, But that is Friday, October fifteenth at eight p.m. For anybody out there who's who's in Long Island, or if you have friends in Long Island, or anybody you know, you know, just once again, I hate to put the bonus on you, but. An email or a text as is free. So if you know somebody, if you got relatives or friends who like my shit or, or or maybe don't listen to the podcast but know me or have spoken, to, please spread the word. But the and and of course the big dog is still. Um, uh, oh, and I'm in DC, December sixteenth and the nineteenth at the DC Improv. So that's fun. Um, and I'm uh, once again trying to communicate with various clubs. Um, Salt Lake City is the one that I'm most confident of coming through soon. Um, Atlanta, the punchline in Atlanta, screwed me over but has told me they will they will have me. There. I was supposed to be there in early October and they never told me until they told me that some they gave the weekend to somebody else. So as usually it's, – it's, it's fun because you reach a, pl- a peak of your career and you realize you are literally no different than you were before all that, which is disheartening and makes me want to quit comedy. <sighs> but uh, the drastic news I guess is – Ticket sales to my special taping. I know it's over a month away, but I'd really hope that people would treat it. I'm not talking about friends. Friends are friends are friends, but they're not always reliable. But but I I figured I had built up um a a large enough fan base and enough credit that people would want it, like be eager to go to my special. Not just that I'd have to be begging people, but that I I just assumed like. The theater seats 118 people. It's a small, beautiful, tight little theater. So it's, and I've, I've recorded two things there before. So I figured two shows, you got to do two shows because you got to have like a, you know, just in case things fuck up. And I thought, okay, I've done one take. Five of my six albums have been one take, um, which is, pretty fucking unbelievable. Like I'm talking one take, like I never even got to run the full set. I just had to run the set piecemeal over feature weeks. Like I'm going to do these 20 minutes. Then I do this five minutes with this extra 15 minutes. it's incredibly stressful. And the fact that I've produced what I've produced is truly fucking pretty, pretty awesome. um, Given how most people produce albums and and specials, which is running the hour for months. I have run my hours once like what you hear on the albums that you've bought is the only time that I've been able to run the full hour because I was a feature. But now with my experience, I was already a headliner level, but with the fan base, I've been trying to get headline work and it's been a struggle. And then when I do get work, it gets canceled due to COVID. Thank you, America. But, um, I have, I'll just tell you guys who gives a fuck. I have sold 70 between the two shows. So 236 total tickets, I have sold, with six weeks to go, I have sold 73 tickets. Now, to put that in perspective, Israeli Tortoise, my 2016 album, was filmed in a tiny club in Queens that sat only 40 people. But I sold out two shows. So I sold 80 tickets in 2016 when I was uh, a beyond nothing in comedy. Not my skills, but I was, you know, I I, I managed to sell like eight tickets to Adam Corolla fans because I was still appearing on his show. And then I just, you know, locals and friends and, and a few fans just bought tickets. And so I sold 80 tickets to that. Now that's now we're a month and a, we're a month and a half away, but it's I still thought I'd be beyond the Israeli tortoise pace for ticket sales. The reason I bring that up is I'm posting a newsletter this week, you know, just where I let all the fans know, and, and I'm gonna post to social media. But if if I don't, if the ticket sales don't jump rapidly, because I can't record a special in two half-filled theaters. Now, I could spin that to be very funny and on-brand for me, but I, I can't do it to myself. So what I'm going to have to do is next week, if ticket sales haven't sort of gone you know in the direction i need them which is like oh good i've sold i'm i'm beyond i like i'm each each of the two shows is sold past half capacity you know like so i need like 60 tickets sold in each show minimum i'm going to tell them to condense it into one show and i'm going to have to do what i really never believed i'd have to do for this special which is do it in one take which is if you've known, if you know me, or you know this my career, or you've listened to this podcast long enough, that is that is sort of a concession and a defeat that I don't think I can put myself through anymore. So, if I, you know, and it's 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 whatever, it's whatever. I I did my career the best I could. I did lots of impressions that drew people to my comedy. Not all of them were standup fans, but many of them were. I sold a lot more albums, both as Trump and my standup to to many people uh, in 2020. And if I can't sell, if I can't outsell myself from five years ago or 10 years ago in New York city, my hometown, then what, what am I doing? And I, I'm not even like, I'm just like, maybe that's, that's ripping off the band aid. I will make this special uh, a fucking masterpiece. If I have to do it in one take, guess what? It'll just be my sixth of seventh albums. And my first special will be just like my other albums, which were successful. It creates an incredible amount of stress and tension. Um, I mean, thoughts and prayers I thought was going to be my last album because I just, and you know, a year later I moved to New Jersey sort of You know, sort of sticking to my word that comedy could no longer be my priority. If, you know, Thoughts and Prayers didn't sell well at all, even relative to my previous albums, it did not sell well. It was a double album, but I, you know, it was, that was, that was really depressing because that show was really, really great and really, really exhausting. I remember just feeling a sense of overwhelming relief when it was done like so much relief because I done, I had done it. I had, I had, I had not been able, I could not run. It was a night like a, I did like a 99 minute set and it was the first take. I had done almost every joke on that set. The Millie Vanilli thing really was like the first or second time I'd ever done it. And it was perfect, but everything else there I had worked, but I'd worked individually. I had not done a full set like that. And I was so proud, but so exhausted. And I just said, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to, I want to rejoice when I do a good job. I want to, I want to feel joy when I, when I accomplish something and the nature of this business and the nature of the way I've been, I think disrespected and mistreated is all I can feel is relief when it's done because I, there's so much stress and so much pressure and so much belief that. I'm gonna make this one so good they're gonna to have to take notice. And you know, two of my last three albums were were Keep My Enemies Closer and Thoughts and Prayers. And I, I I'm a broken fucking record, but those two albums I put up against anybody's shit that came out that year or 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 any time in the last five to ten years. I think they're I think they're I I'm, I'm, I don't say every album I put out is amazing. I think I put out all good shit, but you got to have you got to have a best you got to have your best work and i just think for whatever circumstances those two were my best but to make to for thoughts and prayers to be something that i felt was like arguably my best album that i was i was hitting a new peak and all i could feel was exhaustion all i could feel was oh my god i did it thank god thank god i didn't fuck that up because i only had one chance and i'm a better comedian and a better, harder worker. And I've accomplished more than to be some guy who can only do one take or else it's a fuck up. Like, it makes you nervous. You're like, you run over, you you like, you, 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 you hug, you hug your feature. And then you go, holy fuck. Yes, I did it. Thank God. And then you go over to the sound guy and go, please tell me everything worked, everything recorded properly. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, thank God. And then you're like, but I'll feel really comfortable once he sends me a copy because then I'll know two of us have a copy of it and it won't die. It won't It won't get lost. This one magical fucking perfect night that you had to hit. So if I have to, like, I'm going to make a big push this month. But if, if by, like, the last week of September, I'm going to contact the Triad Theater and say, can you just consolidate it to one 8 p.m. show? Because... The only thing worse than not having two shows would be having two half-empty shows, um, and that hurts. Uh, and this is not a guilt trip on anybody who's listening. Seriously, you guys, I assume are, are very devoted, loyal, strong fans. Like this is this this podcast has you know, I don't know, gets like one ninth the downloads as my Trump podcast, so I get it. You guys are you guys are people who listen to me speak in my own voice and tell jokes in my own voice and tell my own sad stories in my own voice. But, um, you know, I have, I'll be making a special and I'll be doing some road work in early 2022. And then I have my, hopefully in the spring of 2022, I think that's when it'll air. I'll be on that cable drama, but I haven't been able to, um, I hate doing this to you guys because I keep I I like rattle off the same complaints, but there seems to be like a like a, a never ending like refueling like like new things happen that make the complaints feel fresh to me. Like I've basically been ghosted by this this guy who I think I told you guys I like met for lunch. I've known him for many years. He he managed a club. He retired, but we we always had. We always had what I thought was a really good relationship. He was one of the reasons why I liked visiting his club. And we talked the shit so much. And it was just – it was like somebody I felt like, oh, yeah, like I I like your take on life. I like your take on comedy. It's always fun to be here. I'm never asking you for anything. And you just build up a rapport with somebody and you think, okay. And nothing comes of it. But then you realize, hey – you know, I know you're retired, so could you maybe 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 work with me on putting together like some could you could you act as kind of a manager or somebody make contact with clubs and venues for me? Because I think that's all I need. I I whether or not you have the contacts, it's obviously something where if I'm telling clubs, "Hey, I have all these followings and I'm here's my press clippings." They they treat me like I'm a fucking loser because they're trained to say Oh, if he was good, a manager or an agent would be contacting me. So I'm going to ignore his national press coverage, his huge social media numbers, the fact that I heard of him already and know of his work because he got pretty big. I'm going to ignore all that until somebody calls on his behalf. It's a very weird thing. So whenever somebody says you can do it yourself, it's like, no, because everybody who has what you want, if you're a stand-up comedian – Believes in the old system. They believe in managers and agents. I can't get a manager or an agent. And I, I I've contacted somebody who used to manage me briefly on the acting side, which I never booked anything because I was not an actor. I had no experience acting. They were taking a shot, but I contacted that person and they have ignored my emails. And I'm like, I, I got booked on this big show, so I'd love to have somebody in place. Like I hope that's enticing enough between my social media and my fame from the Trump stuff, but also now this like good guest role on a big, big show. And he hasn't even returned that email. And it's, it's weird. Like I get ghosted by people who I had good relationships with. I know I can be abrasive and, uh, too, too, too honest, you know, la, ha ha ha. But that's why I got into comedy to tell the, just because If it, it was finally a space where I could just say what the fuck I wanted. Not to hurt people's feelings. I'm not one of those assholes. I think you know that about me, but just like if I have opinions and I can make them funny, I can share them and I can, I I don't have to, you can just go like, you don't have to have all the permissions in the world and and you don't have to be connected and you can get up on an open mic. And if you're good enough and you can get somebody to see your tape, they'll book you. And, and you can be whatever you want to be. You can be yourself. You can be an exaggerated sense of yourself or, or version of yourself. But, um, I don't know. It's, it's, but I, but I know the people that I've had good relationships with and that I've, I've, through years, years. And for this one guy to ghost me is really bizarre. It's like, just tell me you can't book, like you can't work with me or you can't get it done. You know, still doesn't mean we can't have a lunch, which was the other part of it. You know, so it's, I know I'm whining right now, but it was like one of those things where you're like, so now the people who I have relationships with don't even return my emails. Like people like that's, that just makes me feel like, am I, just like when I moved to New Jersey, I'm at another crossroads and this one's more bitter because I really had this amazing year that finally validated so much of my adult life choices. But I look at it and go, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't think I can do this anymore because now strangers have ignored me completely. And that's one thing. But clubs that I've worked at won't return my emails. People I've had lunch with to discuss business opportunities won't return my emails or texts. I'm talking months now. So when when that happens, you know, the paranoid part of me is like have I been blacklisted? And and it's it's hard to it's hard to think not except that sounds crazy. But the year I had, the career I've had to get nothing while I watch everyone from and, and I mean no disrespect to any individuals, but I watch everyone from Sarah Cooper to Brent Terhune to Blair Erskine, all these people who kind of became very big on social media at the same time as me, and and, and in some cases bigger, With to, all with top flight management and like major opportunities and gigs that I want and can't even get any, a reply to, can't even get a rejection for. It makes you wonder, like, well, why me? Why am I the one that's left out? And now people who I have had relationships with as late as June, 2021 don't return my emails yet people outside the comedy space book me for major cable dramas. (laughs) So, so it almost feels like, um, okay, so maybe they didn't get the word yet that they weren't supposed to work with me and they just, you know, they were outside of, I give you an analogy. I was cut from my high school basketball team in my junior year of high school. I would have started at center for the team, but I had had a disagreement with the JV coach. I quit JV my sophomore year because I wanted to be on varsity, and I didn't like the JV coach. Well, the JV coach was the varsity coach's son. So like mature adults, they held a grudge against a 16-year-old, and I was cut, and I was playing Gym basketball with big-breasted Jewish chicks my junior year instead of trying to get colleges. It was co-ed, so there were other, there were big-breasted Jewish men as well in my high school. But the point being, uh, (laughs) I was playing basketball in gym class when I was the best basketball player in the school. Not a major accomplishment at Riverdale Country School, but still, I would have been starting at center my junior year. And colleges would have had an opportunity to see me. So, none of that happens, uh... And so that senior year, um, there was one new kid on the team. There was me and then this kid who transferred from some other school and he was a junior. So he made the team as a backup guard. And when they had the votes for captain, they vote you know that you know that year. I got one vote for captain because I was the best player on the team. and that's usually like how high schools will just generally give it to you. but I got one vote. And much, of my friends thought I voted for myself, which was not allowed, which I didn't do. The only person who voted for me was the new kid because he just assumed, oh, well, JL is like really good and like probably our best player. So it makes sense to have him as one of the captains. Everybody else voted for like two guards who were obviously on the team for since junior year, like in my class. But that's what it feels like with me getting a cable show. It's like, oh uh the tv people don't realize yet that my career is supposed to be fucked in the ass so they're opening doors for me in major opportunities but the comedy space i can't get emails returned from clubs that i've worked for a decade i can't get uh texts returned from people i just had lunch with agreeing to a business relationship so it starts to make you think what am i doing like am i who am i fighting here like My own happiness is the thing that's suffering. So I say all that to say this special is incredibly important to me, and I have to do the best job I can. And the one thing I do know is, as risky as it is, I have pulled off the one-take recording five times already in my career. So it's something I can do. I don't want to do it. There's always a risk that something fucks up. A light falls, somebody farts, uh, a microphone gives out, etc. So many things can go wrong. But if that's my choice, that's my choice because I'd rather have 120 people in, in this small theater than have 48 people and 51 people and have a bunch of empty seats in a small theater. So that said, if you buy, and I know that was rambling, but this is what goes through my mind. You know, I I I relive my entire fucking existence every time I come up against a comedy crisis because I've put that much pressure on it. It's it's a it is something that it's still the thing. I have had many personal life fuck-ups. I have had professional fuck-ups. But comedy, at least in terms of the work I produce and put out and continue to put out, it is pure. It is still fucking good. It is still worthy of a big career. So I feel obligated to give that skill that I've honed and that has given me focus and purpose, unwavering focus and purpose to give it the best I can, I can give it because unlike relationships, unlike other non-comedy careers, it is, as far as I'm concerned, unblemished. I have just put out better and better work, more diversified work, whether 10 people or 10 million people see it. Whatever the piece is, I have tried to do my absolute best for where I was. And I feel like I'm at a very high point now in my career artistically. So I have to do what's right by it. But at the same time, there are so many things basically telling me to quit right now. And I don't know what I'll do without comedy. That's a really big fear for me. It sort of has given me an outlet and an enemy all in one. Um, not getting my respect is that constant motivator, but also making good things and getting to show off my talent and my work is, feels really good and really righteous. Um, but if I have to condense, um, you know, the two shows into one, like an 8 PM instead of a 7 PM and a nine thirty and an 8 PM and just make everybody's tickets good for that. That's going to be, um, that will be disheartening on a, on a very deep level. Um, because the point is if after all that I did and the fans that I got, I I can't get 200 people into my hometown to see me perform something that's going to be really great. Then what am I, you know, and I, I don't mean this isn't like, I know I sound sad and depressed around, but like at that point you go, oh, I guess I have to quit again. <laughs> like I have to do what I did two years ago by moving to Jersey and taking a day job and, and just, just trying to move on. I have to do that again and it will be way more painful this time because it will be even more confusing and depressing. Um, but whether it's God or William Morris or somebody else, who, who doesn't want this for me, at some point, you got to listen. And right now, I'm listening very loudly to very poor ticket sales in my hometown for a special recording. You know, when Gary Goldman, I know I'm not Gary Goldman, but to some people, I am to some people, I am like a, a big deal and, a, and a, a favorite comedian. And when Gary Goldman's tickets went on sale, at Carnegie Hall, I bought tickets the morning they were available because I'm a fan. But I feel like my friends still treat me like kind of an after – like kind of like, oh, okay, good for him. And my fans kind of – maybe it's just like they don't – they're not like real comedy fans. They're just – they kind of like some of the stuff I do and it's fun and it's accessible on social media. And that's – that all has value too. But like I said, 200 seats in my hometown – After the year I had, after reaching a new peak in comedy, unable to get calls back from people who I have relationships with, who you just sort of say, I'm, I'm just, you know, I've said this analogy before, but I remember talking to a therapist and describing my parents and saying, you know, my father was sort of an arrogant man who believed even when he wasn't working that like making the bed was beneath him. That was maids work. And it annoyed my mom every day coming home and seeing an unmade bed. As I can under, as I can appreciate, I've made my bed every day of my life. I like it. I like it just as a fresh new seal. My favorite store in the world is Staples. I think I love getting new pens, new pads, new desk calendar for the year. And I think part of that is the idea that it's like a, it feels like a chance always to do a fresh start. I know that maybe that sounds dumb, but psychologically, that's what I'm guessing it is. I love the idea, and maybe that's the Catholic in me, you go to confession and you feel cleansed, you feel renewed, but you open up a fresh desk calendar at the beginning of the year and you're like, it's a whole new year. And this is like a tangible feeling, a tangible sign that new things are possible. And I already forgot where where I was going with that, sorry. But I don't know, I'm sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. But the point is, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's probably run its course, which maybe to some of you sounds ridiculous because you didn't know me for the first 16 and a half years of my career, struggling up and down, thinking like five different things were going to be my moment, my late night debut. Oh, my relationship with the Adam Carolla show when it was the biggest podcast on the planet. Oh, um, this album went number one. Oh, this, uh, this video, this Louis CK video went viral. I've had all these like individual moments that were so big for like a little bit and they never, they never grew. And that's what I'm afraid of with the show in the spring. And once again, I'm in two scenes. I don't want to make it like I'm fucking, uh, the Prince of Dorn in fucking Game of Thrones showing up and like stealing the season. It's two, it's two nice scenes, but they're showy scenes, you know. So they, they are, they're the kind of thing. If you have management in place, if you have people in place trying to push you for other auditions, it's a good enough role that it could be a real valuable piece of a reel for for an actor. But I don't have anybody in place, and I can't get the people I even know to give me emails back or calls back. So what's going to happen most likely is that will air some of you will say oh that was so funny that was so cool some friends will contact me who I haven't heard of in fucking 20 years and go was that you on blah 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 and then it'll be cool and I'll like change my profile pic or put up a clip and it'll be nice for a couple of days and it will die as as a meaningful it will it will be something that I that will be very cool for me but it will die it will die as a meaningful thing if i don't have a team or a person in place connected enough to make things happen to, to use it instead of as a one-off to use it as a jumping off. And that's what's happened with my career this whole time is that like, I have these big moments in comedy that I get all on my own, but then I don't have any team in place. And and my efforts to get a team to get people to rep me have been a embarrassingly colossal failure. So when you, when you deal with that, you just have to sort of say, I don't know what to do next, except to try and listen to myself from two years ago and say, it's maybe time to prioritize something else, which is so weird. But, um, what else, what other lesson can there be? So the point is, um, if you can go to the show, go. If you're interested in the show or you planned on going, then then you shouldn't wait any longer to get tickets, especially in New York, to any of these shows, but especially in New York. Um, and and it's nobody's fault if you don't want to go. That's just the way the shit goes, I guess. But then I'm going to have to condense it into one show, which will still be better than nothing. Trust me, like a full house in this nice little theater will be a really good atmosphere and a really good place to tape. But it also is a major concession to the fact that I couldn't get the bare, what I felt was the bare minimum for a special done. So that's going to you know, I just, you should know that that not as a threat to you listeners, but just in general, that's going to be very difficult to get over. Um, and i don't think i want to subject myself to other disappointments especially when they seem so unjustified when the disrespect and the the stagnation of my career feels so unbelievably unfair and i know there's no fair blah 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 but like the the people i mentioned before who had big years in 2020 They're all may, they're all repped, they're repped by like the two, two of the three or all three of the biggest talent agencies in the world. I haven't gotten an email or a phone call from any talent agency, but I have been rejected by a few where friends tried to make, um, moves for me. So I never even got so much as a phone call or a meeting with, with representatives. So that's fine, but you know, I'm an adult, I'm 42 fucking years old, I don't really want to keep subject subjecting myself to that, because it just feels the better I do, the more the absence of respect, or industry connections feel like the worse it feels to not have those things. It'd be one thing if I, you know, it was easy, it was much easier two years ago to just move to because it have been like a 16 year process of up and down. And I guess it's not going to happen. I had some good moments. I know I'm a really good comedian, but it's not going to happen. So let, let me see what happens when I when I just prioritize the other aspects of my life. And um, 2020 will make that decision way more difficult because now it feels like but I do have all these fans. So why 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 can't I put this all together? Why won't it happen? Why won't anybody return an email or a phone call? Like what it, what force is like blocking me from even getting in the door? Like that's the thing. It's not like I got a shot on some big tour and fucked it up. Like I'm ten steps away from that. I can't even get a meeting or a phone call or an email from anybody connected in the business. Um, so, how about that for a pitch to come to my fucking special recording? But whatever. This uh, this is this is the nature of the Righteous Brick podcast. Today was one of those those episodes, but it was a very um, it's been a very disheartening sort of second half of this year. Um, and I think more than anything, what hurts is the fact that pre-existing relationships aren't even of value to me. like thing like that's what's weird. That's what hurts because it's like I went to option B, then I went to option C and then it was like, oh okay, you know what? Hey, Work with the people you know. Work with people you know. You know what? Put your faith in people who've who've been there for you. And even if they're not as big, maybe you can make some things happen at the grassroots level and build up from there. Have confidence that your fans will come out, that you can do good work. But at the end of the day, it's like even those people don't return my calls and I can't sell tickets to my own special. So it seems like the fans and the industry are sort of in sync in a weird way. So I don't know what all this was for other than to torment me. You know, is this the book of Job level shit? But if I got to condense this to one, to one show, that's, that's, I, I will have to use all my energy and all my positivity to make sure that that show kicks ass. And then I'm just gonna hopefully be able to take a vacation and think long and hard about what I'm doing with my life. So that's what's going on through my mind so now I need to try and start writing these sketches again even though for obvious I hope this fleshes out why I've been having a hard time putting finger to key because um, it feels like my career is a sinking ship and I, I I'm still coming to grips with that because a year ago I was like sailing off into like into a new sunset or a sunrise and felt like every six months ago, I felt like, okay, I've got some, some contacts. I'm going to work and let's start getting out. Now we got vaccines. So let me get out to the clubs. There was reason to be positive, very positive six months ago, finally. But now it's just sort of like I hit an iceberg. I still, I still don't know where the iceberg is or was, I don't know the damage, but it just seems like the ship is sinking. So, um, On that pleasant note, folks, that's what's going on through my head. That's why uh, I've had trouble writing sketches, Um, but uh, at least you got some good book recommendations out of this week. So um, thanks for listening, as always. Uh, The numbers have been really good the last couple of weeks, so if if any new listeners kind of jumped on board, thank you. This is uh, one of the more morose episodes if you're a new listener. Obviously, the last couple episodes, including the U.S. Open preview, you got a little bonus episode last week. I thought that was one of my funnier episodes ever. So this is, you know, you've been, you've been given a couple of really funny ones, I guess, recently. So, uh, pardon me for having a slightly more somber one this year, but you know, once again, this is what's going on in my head. So, um, you know, venues that I've, you know, I I'm sorry, I apologize. I was just going to bitch again about like venues that I've actually had good shows in recently that aren't returning my emails. (laughs) Cause then you start to wonder like, Oh, so I sold 150 tickets on a Monday in Boston, but it's been a, over a month since I asked you for a 2022 date and you have yet to even reply to my email. So that's one of those other disheartening things where you're like, oh, I did do really well for that venue, especially given the night I was given, because that's I'm, I'm over 200 tickets if I, get a, if I get a Friday or a Saturday without question. 150 was, was great. And I'm very grateful to all the Boston people who, show, who showed up. That was, it was, that was a very special, meaningful. Th- that, that was like the opposite of what's going on now in my career, which is like my hometown. I can't sell tickets, but like to go to a town where I'm not from and have like a few friends and a bunch of fans from social media show up um, to see me and, and to not have one complaint because I gave them everything I could. I gave them like an hour of stand-up or 55 minutes of stand-up and like 15 minutes of Q and A with my impressions. It was, it was, it, that felt so fulfilling. And that's, that's, that's the experience I've been looking for. But then to do that, to have that kind of a show and then the venue can't even contact me back for like a, a 2022 date. Like I don't like that's, that's baffling to me. And you just start to wonder, like, am I, is, is it cursed? And I'm not saying anybody got to City Winery. It just feels like, oh. So even when you fucking actually do the damn thing and have a strong show and you've proven it. Now they gave you a chance and then you came through with a, a really strong showing on the worst night of the week. And then they don't reply to your emails seeking a, a date in the future. It's just, it, those things keep piling up is what I'm saying. And, you know, at some point you got to take care. I feel like I got to take care of myself and, and subjecting myself to comedy was hard enough. But once I've actually had real tangible, um, tangible and, and, and verifiable metrics to prove that there is success and, and a family to have it that not work either is is like it's literally insult upon injury so anyway that's what's going on that's your that's your i'll try to make this the only uh sad. maybe i'm just somber also because of 9-11 uh that's right i'm blaming 9-11 not afraid to blame a national tragedy for a tragic podcast but uh, thank you for listening guys. Um, I, I promise I will make a pledge to you. The rest of the episodes this month will not be this. This was my bitch session of the month. okay? So you got a couple laughs. I lured you in, I think with a few laughs early, but then I really gave it to you. So thank you for enduring this if you did. Any new listeners? I promise these episodes are only like once a month, but at least you get inside my fucking creepy, depressed mind. The rest of them will be fun and informative. and there was a lot of tennis talk today too. How about that? That's who? Who thought? I don't know. This was, this was all over the place, but th- I do thank you for listening. Um, have a great week. If you haven't been vaccinated, what are you doing? Go get vaccinated. It's never too late if you do it now. Um, I won't shame you if you get it done now, but every day you don't get it, I will shame you. So uh, have a, have a great week uh, to anybody. If, if, if anybody out there did lose somebody on nine eleven, uh very sorry for you. It's The brutality of that day, the tragedy of it is just not, uh, the kind of thing where I don't, I don't see how that gets, I mean, it has to get easier in some ways because your body just can't live in like that level of trauma and survive. But, uh, it's, it's a, it was a, it's a horrific visceral tragedy, like, like pretty much almost nothing we've, we've experienced here. And, um, you know, and to anybody who's lost somebody due to COVID, that's, that's a, that's an ongoing hell. And hopefully we can at least address, uh, you know, address COVID and everybody who gets vaccinated from here on out is, is improving the situation. You're late, but not too late. So thank you everybody for listening, for dealing with this episode. Um, and, uh, I guess that's it. So this is coming out on Monday, so uh, Rod of The Black Io Tips had said you uh, could make it see you Monday, because then you get to come instead of see you next Tuesday, which is, of course, the C word. Uh, so see you Monday. No, I will see you next Tuesday. This one will be a Monday episode. But um, also, in the show notes, in addition to that uh, US Open a blog, I will uh, add uh, the podcast link for me, Rod, and Chris Lamberth. We reviewed Karen, the worst movie I've ever seen. On Chris's podcast. So give give his podcast a little boost this week, um, the JL bump. Um, and it's pure funny. So if, if you've gotten to the end of this episode and you're like, well, I need something really funny, mm-hmm. the Karen review episode of the Mundane Festival, which is available on all podcast platforms, I think that will definitely do the trick for you. So that'll be in the show notes as well. Um, again, thanks, everybody. I know I've thanked you a lot, but I feel like I owe you extra thanks when you put up with one of these episodes. So Thank you for your support in whatever way you provide it. If it's just listening to the show, thank you. If, If you do any more for me, much appreciated. So have a great week, and I will see you next Tuesday.